Greetings, and welcome to Montessori in Action, a podcast for Montessori educators to remind you that you are not alone. I'm your host, Elizabeth Slade, and let's spend some time listening to what is in the hearts and on the minds of other Montessorians. Our next episode is a conversation with two school leaders. Hannah Richardson is the Director of Curriculum and Instruction at Breakthrough Montessori in Washington, D.C., and Katie Rucker is the Head of School of Moore Montessori Community School in North Carolina. We spoke with them in August to learn about their plans for returning to school following school closures in March due to the world pandemic. In that episode, they shared with us what their intentions were for reopening with Breakthrough Montessori opening fully virtually and more Montessori opening in person. In this episode, we have an opportunity to check back with them and hear about how those plans unfolded. Welcome back, Hannah Richardson and Katie Rucker. Thank you for returning to Montessori in Action, the podcast, to talk about your current learning plans in public Montessori. So thank you both for being here. Thank you. Happy to be here. Thank you. Great. So I was hoping you would each take a turn to remind our listener what your plan was that you created in August when you reimagined school startup after a shutdown in March from the pandemic. So Hannah, will you lead us off? Sure. Um, I'll certainly do that. I would first like to say that it was quite an undertaking. So thinking about um, this whole process, um, it was a big one, it took a lot of thought. And so I'll do my best to share what things looked like along the way. Um, so just for context, again, our school has both primary and elementary. We have six primary classrooms and five lower elementary classrooms. Um, we decided that it would be good to move into virtual learning, examining it from the angle of we are a public school. We want to make sure that we are giving like experiences to as many as children as possible. Um, and a lot of people are in different places, um, both physically, emotionally, mentally, all the things. Um, but we, so we created curriculum. We wrote the curriculum down that people would follow. So not only did all the guides have a copy of it and assistance as well, but also families. So everyone kind of knew what we would teach when, um, knowing that, you know, nobody, we were kind of working in silos, but everybody was interconnected. Also, all of our staff is all hands on deck. So people before that would have had a different role, for instance, maybe a dedicated aide who worked one-on-one -on -one with a child was now maybe working with more children in Zoom meetings. Um, and people who were assistants who would do less direct academic instruction in live school were now taking on a lot of that doing one-on-ones with children. So basically what it looks like um, and how we started the year was all of the guides have a circle time that start the day for about half an hour. Then everybody has leveled lessons. So for instance, if you were thinking about primary, there would be a kindergarten age lesson, a PK4 age lesson, and then a PK3 age lesson. All this time, assistants and dedicated aides are doing one-on-ones with children who aren't in a class meeting. So if it's kindergarten class meeting time, there might be four-year-olds or three-year-olds who are having one-on-ones with a with an assistant and the, those things are based on need. Um, and then in the afternoons, 
we do some more targeted support. So you're likely to see small groups during that time, reading time, etc. So it's a very large game of Tetris, kind of thinking about the schedule and the way that things work mm-hmm. together. But everybody has a role, you know, a place for every person and every person in their place um, kind of situation where we're trying to get the needs net of, met of as many children as possible. Hmm. Wonderful. Thank you. And Katie, you started out the year differently. You want to talk a little about, remind our listeners how more opened. Yes. So we are a public charter school in Southern Pines, North Carolina. In July, our governor um, set a ruling that schools could open in person, but at half capacity. So keeping social distancing and masks in place as mitigating factors for the spread of COVID. So we came up with a plan that would meet those requirements. And we ended up going with a split day model So half of our students come in the morning for the three-hour morning work cycle. They get lessons, can work with the Montessori materials, and then they go home at the end of their work cycle. The um, high-touch surfaces in classrooms, hallways, and common areas were all cleaned in the middle of the day. And then the second group of children came for the afternoon, come for the afternoon work cycle, which is also a three-hour work cycle, and they get their lessons, can work with materials, um, and then they go home around 3.30. And then on Fridays, we have um, a group, a time in the morning work cycle. We've split it up. So for eight weeks, we had children from the morning work cycle come who needed extra work on specific skills or for staff children or for any reason that the teacher suggested. And then after eight weeks, we opened up the Friday morning to afternoon children to come for that extra work cycle. So keeping the really, really careful to keep the bubbles of children. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's the plan that we're currently in right now. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Wonderful. So um, Katie, can you say a little bit about how that plan unfolded from when you envisioned it? What what things turned out to be different or did you need to adapt or adjust along the way from mm-hmm. when we last spoke in August when you hadn't had a day of school yet to right now where mm-hmm. you're well into the school year? Mm-hmm. Um, the first thing is just the joy to all be back together in the building was um, was really palpable for everyone. In those first few weeks, we were just so excited to to be together in a way that felt safe and really productive. Um, and that, um, that kind of feeling of we're, we're excited to be together and learn helped us frame and set our culture for how we care for each other, which is um, we care for each other by wearing masks and keeping distance. And so we were able to set that culture with staff and students, and um, it, it has worked really well. Um, another thing that unfolded for us was the importance of having protocols for staff and students. So you can kind of remove the necessity for people to make judgment calls. So we have a, a care team that responds to a classroom if we get a call that a child or staff is not feeling well. And it's taking that judgment call off the staff at that level and putting it on the care team. So the care team comes in and evaluates the child if it's a stomach ache, a headache, a fever, a cough, whatever it might be, 
All you have to do is call the care team and follow the protocol. And that that has worked successfully for us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think the um, the silver lining of kind of a, a shorter work cycle, a shorter day, fewer children has been that guides have really been able to focus on lessons. And we also, like Hannah, are using a pacing guide in the event that we need to go into fully virtual. Um, everyone is working together as elementary and primary teams, giving kind of similar lessons throughout the day and the week mm-hmm. and the month. And have you needed to close at all as a school since you opened? We have not. There were definitely a few weeks in early September, and I remember speaking with you, Elizabeth, in one of our coaching sessions that we were we were nervous that um, all of the energy and hard work we put into Plan B would would be for naught, and we would close. And you wisely reminded us that the the joy of being together was not lost, and the time that we had. Um, so that kind of released us from that worry, and we were ready for C and spent spent some time working on fully virtual, which is which is Plan C here. And we didn't need to we didn't need to go into it. So we've been in Plan B safely the entire semester. Mm-hmm. And Hannah, from your um, imagined plan in August of how you would create a real sustainable Montessori program through virtual connections, what things have um, shifted or adjusted? within breakthrough? Um, well, there are certainly a few things that maybe we didn't we didn't see as clearly, you know, like hindsight being 2020. So things certainly had to shift once we recognized, um, one, how we know what's going on everywhere when we're fully virtual. We have mm-hmm. a coaching and observation culture in our live school where people – just pop in and observe lessons and observe classrooms and see children at work and say hello. And while that's still somewhat possible um, in the virtual world, we all use Zoom rooms and everyone has access to others' um, rooms to be able to get in. It is a little bit different. In a bustling class of 27 children, somebody standing you know, at the doorway or sitting off to the side doesn't disrupt things. But in a small group of maybe three children and one adult, Another person coming onto the screen is very jarring to the small child. Mm-hmm. Um, so figuring out ways to observe um, had been a little bit of hum- a hump to get over, but we came up with one, asking guides and assistants to record sessions and send them to us so we can see what's going on without disrupting the actual session. Um, but another big piece that we've really had to get a handle on is record keeping. So, Mm -hmm. for instance, whenever one-on-one sessions are happening, if it's something like literacy work that is very targeted um, or something of the like, we ask for lesson notes for everything that goes on. That way, people on the back end, our literacy specialists, our coaches, administrators, can go in and take a look at all of the lesson notes to have a good idea of the big picture that one would actually miss if you weren't able to step in and see all of the classrooms at work. Um. Also, I think at the onset, you know, as administrators, we do so much. We have our hands in so many buckets and we're used to 
juggling very many different things um, at once, which is not always the same case for staff members. So it was very new to them to do a lot of different things. And so thinking about the workload, recognizing the time that we're in and thinking about work-life balance, we have really encouraged as much collaboration as possible between staff members Mm -hmm. in order to get all the things Mm -hmm. done. So for instance, we use we have our Zoom meetings, but we also utilize Seesaw, as so many people do. Um, and we ask that people have follow-up work on Seesaw that is related to their lessons. Well, since we're all following the same curriculum guide, they're able to collaborate so that they can potentially work together, divide and conquer. So, you know, out of a number of subjects at a number of different age levels, people can become... Um, really experts in one area and start to really create a lot of that content and share it with their colleagues. And so when time is not in front of Zoom, when it's out of the workday, people can really work a lot on self-care, which is important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm, thank you for those insights and observations. Um, I'm wondering for either of you if there were surprises um, along the way. I know, Katie, you mentioned that the joy factor um, and I'm not sure that was a surprise. Maybe you were expecting that, but what were there any surprises uh, along the way of implementing your plans? Um, for for us, certainly, just seeing how much people were really there for the children, like people who hadn't done mm-hmm. work in the same way before. Um, like I mentioned, we had a lot of assistants who really had to step up to the plate to do some real direct academic instruction. Um, and they have done it. They have done it well. They have been very interested to do it. The children are learning. Um, and I'm very proud of the leaps and bounds and the like the real risks that people took to do things that weren't necessarily in their comfort zone. Mm, what do you attribute that to? Um, I feel that as as Montessorians, uh, as so many educators, like we are lucky that we are in an environment where people are doing this work for the right reasons, right? We're here because we love children and Mm -hmm. it really allows great quality time with children when you're really all into the instruction and you're able to see the child grow before you. Um, So I think that that is a big piece. And we had a pretty strong community before we went into this. And so it just allows us to continue to build our community. And boy, are we waiting mm-hmm. for the time when we're able to go live again, though. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. Right. So it's that um, school culture that helped to cohere during a time when you're not in shared space, that you're still on shared mission. Mm-hmm. 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 How about for you, Katie? Um, <clears throat> I think we were definitely anticipating um that children would struggle to wear masks consistently, consistently to space, maybe even some resistance to wearing a mask at all. But we have able been able to resolve all mask and distancing issues with gentle reminders, mm-hmm. and that is extraordinary. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, How did your mask-free zone work out? It's it's been it's been lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a space outside of each classroom. Um, I think most people have a yoga mat and a little sign and a timer and a um, kind of fidget device. No fidget spinners, exactly, but something that they can kind of play with that can easily be cleaned. And children have, I think, anywhere between four to seven minutes where they can go out and take a mask break 
um, and children have have used it and respected it. So mm-hmm. um, another surprise is how much work children are getting done in the three hours that they're in person. It, um, <laughs> it's been really mm-hmm. delightful to see everybody gets a lesson every day and they've got their work that they're doing. So um, that's been really nice. And then I think also um, acknowledging that it it took a really long time relatively speaking, from August to get to this place, mm-hmm. that a lot of those systems and routines took a very long time. And I'll be honest, the first few weeks, it would take us 45 minutes to complete the health screen with the families in the car line. We now have it down to less than 10 minutes. How did you get it down to 10 minutes? I'm curious if you have any ideas or tips to share about the screening process. Um. Well, the first area where we have not compromised is having a staff person ask the health screening questions to the adult with eye contact. And that to us has been an important point of contact where we we care and this is important. So a live person is going to ask you every day if your family's been exposed, if you've been asked to quarantine, or is your child experiencing any of these symptoms. Um, and we think that's kept people out from that kind of automatic, I just hit this button on my Google survey every day and you it starts to lose its effectiveness. So that's been something that we feel good about, but it is an investment in time and staffing. Um, we have one person go out five minutes before we open the gate for Carline and start to pre-screen families. So when it's time to open the gates, 15 to 20 cars are already ready to kind of come through in a pretty quick manner. And then we have two people out doing the health screen temperature check. I will say you can get false reads on the temperature check. When it was hot, we had to get children in the shade. We had to have families turn on the air conditioning, Mm -hmm. all kinds of things. And now we're experiencing the opposite. Mm -hmm. On cold days, thermometers malfunction. Mm -hmm. They turn off at certain temperatures. And children are all bundled up with hats and coats. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, the sweet spot on the temperatures is not very big. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And then we have, we're able to run the normal car line, but um, a quick question, we do quick questions and attendance and screening by one to two people. um, And that's, that's worked effectively for us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So your tips are starting ahead of when schools actually open Get the right. process rolling ahead of time yeah. and have a lot of thermometers. I'm thinking about the schools in Chicago and how yeah. that might impact their temperature, uh, their thermometer right. usage. Yeah, wonderful. Right. Because you don't, the problem is it's not fair to have children rolling in for 30 minutes before school starts because everyone knows once a child walks in, the school day starts for teachers. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. kind of having to hold that point of tension. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I thought we'd use the rest of our conversation time for you to ask questions of each other because you are in different modes right now and hopefully not, but at any moment more Montessori might need to move back into full virtual and um, hopefully Breakthrough will be moving into in, back to in-person. And so I wonder if you brought some questions for each other to ask as you're thinking about um, the opposite approach What's what's bubbling up for you? I have a question. Can I ask you a question, Katie? 
Mm-hmm. Um, what was the time frame for really from the start of school for everyone to really get settled into what the routine is like, the mask wearing, the schedule, the health checks, the whole nine? When did things feel like they were in a good groove? It didn't take too long. And I was talking about that with um, Keisha this morning. I think because children had kind of forgotten, in a sense, the motor memory of how things used to be when they were in person at our school, that they were willing to kind of come to us and accept that this is going to be a brand new way of being in a school. And our staff also, you go back to startup mode, which I know you were in five years ago, I think. So it really is starting starting from scratch. Our bathrooms went from being um, um, male and female bathrooms to this is the bathroom for this half of the building and only one person can be in it at a time. Children didn't mind. There was no, oh, that was the girls' bathroom. They just used the bathroom. It's it's really not a big deal. Um, so I think I think the first two weeks, you're really just going through the routines. And by week four to six, it's it's rocking and rolling. They're excited to be back. That's great. And when you say startup mode, Katie, I am what I'm imagining is the careful planning and walking through with your whole staff. So there's calibration yeah. across. Everyone knows what the new procedure and routine is, so that that gets mm-hmm. reinforced once there's children in the building. Is that what right. you were thinking, or was there another piece of startup mode? No, we did. We spent a lot of time going through. I think a. 15 to 20 point list of things we had to to calibrate and we mm-hmm. just had staff meetings a little bit each day and today we're reviewing the bathrooms now we're reviewing how you clean your rooms now we're reviewing how you give a lesson um reporting out concerns for care calls all of those things common language it just you really have to go slow to make sure everybody's on the same page. The adults are on the same page, so then the children are responding similarly. Hmm. Can you just take one more minute to talk about, you said common language, about some of the the common language or shared language you established for reentry? Mm-hmm. Um, we certainly acknowledged that there was a pandemic and this is how we have to be together now because of coronavirus, but we did not we didn't allow people to kind of throw around the COVID language or uh, if a person coughed, you didn't say, oh gosh, you don't have COVID. Do you really making sure from the beginning, we're neutralizing that um, common language about, oh, remember six feet, um, just easy ways to give reminders that, that we're, we're kind and direct at the same time. Um, and then even when we did have our first quarantine case and I was a substitute, I worked with our instructional coach and um, came up with language to tell the children that um, the teacher was around someone who might have coronavirus and so she's going to stay home until she can be tested and we know it's safe for her to return. So just being really direct why mm-hmm. she wasn't there that day. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it's bringing, bringing the fear, taking the fear out of it and the yeah. tension out of it. Mm-hmm. 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 Great. Hannah, I just spun off your question there, but did did that get to what you were thinking about? Yeah, very much so. Thank you. How about for you, Katie? Well, I do, I fully expect we're, as administrators, we have to be ready for anything. We, we, I am going into January and expecting we will be in fully virtual, hybrid, and fully in person at some point from January to June. Mm -hmm. I just, 
I think that there's a reality there. Um, and I, I love your idea about recording sessions. I think that is brilliant and never even crossed my mind because it is, it's hard to get to all the sessions and it does feel disruptive. So that's, that's awesome. Um, where have you all landed in terms of materials at home for children? Are you still distributing things? Are you doing pipe cleaners and beads or where did you land Um, on that? So when we started the year, we sent a large number of things home with families. And so they were things like from chalk, chalkboards, pencils, you know, scissors, all the basic necessities that children would need, um, notebooks, the whole nine. And as we've moved on, we've decided that every quarter we're going kind of a re-up to give all the basic materials, but also any new materials that children might need as they're moving to the next part of the curriculum. So we share the curriculum again for the next quarter. We have a day, which was actually yesterday, for families to come in and get new materials. Um, and we have done things like we we made sets of um, sandpaper letters with cardstock and glitter cardstock and a cutting machine for oh, all of the hundred and some glitter. odd children. Because <laughs> um, the glitter cardstock has a texture, so it's wonderful. Um, we made sandpaper numbers. Glitter cardstock. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're blowing my mind. I, this, I, I can't take credit for this. I have to give credit where it's due. Um, Megan Hubbard at Lee Montessori um, got this one together and shared oh. with us here in D.C. Nice. And then we have just this time sent home the pipe cleaners and beads for children to make, for families to make the bead stare with the option of creating mm-hmm. things like the hundred chain, the counting chains, multiplication bead bars. People have stamp games and movable alphabets. Um, and we've also most recently purchased some small working tables from Ikea for families who don't have a space for their children to work to take home as well. So they have a child-sized mm-hmm. table. But yeah, I mean, it's, you know, finding the the team at the time who's available to make materials. It was our ops team presently um, during other times. Sometimes it's our dedicated aides, administrators. We all kind of go in and make all the things. And are you creating materials that align with your, your eight weeks of curricu- shared curriculum? Mm-hmm. So you're looking ahead and being like, oh, we're going to need... geometric solids how will we do that or whatever it is yeah so at the beginning Mm -hmm. we did kind of the basics that you would need all year so that's when the movable alphabets rolled out um sadly enough the sandpaper letters were a little bit late because we didn't think about because it seemed like such a giant undertaking but once we got good instruction now they are in the hands of children Mm. is that instruction written down anywhere i don't know if it's written down but i can definitely reach out to megan That'd be wonderful to post on the website with this podcast. Mm-hmm. So if people wanted to do the glitter cardstock, <laughs> sandpaper letters and numbers, <laughs> get it going on. Because yeah. I think you're right. It does seem like a big undertaking unless we have some direction and idea of how to make this happen. And then, boom, it happens. Mm-hmm. But I imagine schools with, you know, 500 families, that can feel really daunting. Mm-hmm. Hopefully they don't all have primary children. Right. But, <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, what, what do you, would you say is the biggest change from spring of virtual teaching where you didn't have much time to plan to what you all are doing now in terms of fully virtual? Oh, um, I think that it's the amount of alignment 
Like in the beginning, mm. we very much saw ourselves as you know building the plane while flying it. And classrooms still felt very much the way they can in person. We're like, we all, we're all having a shared experience, but you walk into one classroom, children are working on X, you walk into another one, they're working on Y, which is fine. Um, but we recognize that through the pandemic, it is we are a public school, of course. So at the end of it, we are still likely responsible to make sure that children are learning. So it was important on a lot of levels to make sure that classrooms were aligned. So the collaboration between teams, um, collaboration at levels, the record keeping, the um, the way that the curriculum is really written. It's written out to the day in the subject and the lesson that is given, which, mm -hmm. you know, in a live world is something we would certainly not be doing. But just recognizing that virtual world is not the live world and really focusing on the pieces that we can do well. So like another piece that relates to that um, is that we know that it's a little bit difficult to give practical life lessons. And so we've kind of looked at the ways we give them and which ones we prioritize. Um, so for instance, if we're showing, you know, a child or a group of children how to wash a table via a Zoom lesson, when they walk into the classroom, particularly if it's a three-year-old, it's going to be like getting the lesson all over again when we walk into doing things live. And so just mm -hmm. thinking about, you know, where we spend the greater amount of time with the things that can really hit home. So learning about rhyming, reading stories and asking questions, having those mm -hmm. type of shared experiences, um, which really take more, I guess, take the brunt of the effort these days and kind of saving the things for later that we know will need more effort live anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that um, I loved hearing about your mask culture with your children and with your staff and how everybody got settled with that. Was there anything that was particularly difficult? Because it seemed like that came, that would have been one of my concerns, that some children would not be ready mm -hmm. to wear masks. Was there anything that was particularly difficult as you came back to this strange new world? Um, there's definitely that um, kind of fatigue in mid-September of this is, this is a different pace from even typical in-person learning for some of the teachers and, and kind of building up the muscles to do two, three-hour work cycles and cleaning in between. Um, so giving everybody space to adjust. One of the interesting things we notice, and I would definitely suggest as you return to in-person learning to watch for, um, the first phase is really getting everyone safely in the building, um, you know, stay seated, six feet apart, and we were we were extremely cautious because it all seems great now because mm -hmm. we're here safely, but we didn't know in August. Mm -hmm. um, we didn't know if people could touch paper that a child had touched or what to do with books. Um, so we were very, very cautious. And as we moved into the year, um, I remember on one of our leadership coaching sessions with Elizabeth, I said, it's starting to feel like we're at a Montessori restaurant and the adults are the waitresses and waiters and the children are the customers and they're, you know, raising their hand and ordering and they're being served Montessori materials. Um, and so at that point in the year, Elizabeth was like, okay, well, let's, let's figure out what kind of functional independence we can add back because 
it it was turning into a kind of a direction we didn't we didn't want our school to go. We certainly want to serve children, but not that literally. <laughs> um, and so um, we worked on traffic, you know, traffic patterns, and and you know, if one child's up, look around. I can go get the material. I can take it back. I know where to take it to the sanitizing table. So building out that independence slowly. And right now we are ready to kind of look at okay, well. We had all your follow-up work in this box, and the box gets put on the shelf, and no one touches the box but you. And now we're ready to build that next level of independence and bringing back our systems in the elementary classrooms where children are are kind of managing the work from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately, wherever it ends up, at home or binders or wherever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a, a bit of an early adopter trap that you were in because you were one of the only schools that was opening again, and it wasn't clear at that point whether it was transmitted mm-hmm. through surfaces as m- much as it mm-hmm. was through air. And so mm-hmm. that's great for our listeners to hear that's not as big of a concern and to set it up with traffic patterns and expectations mm-hmm. for more independence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think my biggest takeaway here is the big is that like you're taking it day by day, piece by piece, and like there's a process to it all, looking towards the end goal. Mm-hmm. We can't just snap our fingers and have everything be perfect. That's a good reminder. Mm-hmm. And one of our best tools, observing and watching what's going on, and are we ready for the next? Are we ready for the next step? Or are we going to hold here for a little bit longer? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Back to startup mode. Right, how you start a school from the beginning is not full on drinking from a fire hose. You're going to take it slowly and gradually walk into it. Yeah, yeah. Anything else from either of you? Questions that remain? Um, One thing I would add, and Hannah, I'd be interested to see how your family communication piece went. Um, We just. Whatever was our traditional family communication, we times it by three. So three, three Zoom meetings, open kind of open office hours for families to to talk and get ready and ask questions. And um, we just had a really strong sense of where our school was in terms of safety and how we were going to operate, and messaging that to families because our families run the full spectrum in terms of where they are in terms of risk and how they how they have decided as a family to navigate and live in a global pandemic. And so um, we are constantly communicating with families how we're going to be safe, how we stay open. Um, and I think that that, that has been effective. Um, and we, you know, we were not in a place to do a lot of family education because we were pretty overwhelmed opening the school and communicating how we were going to be together. Um, so what? how has your family engagement worked? So <clears throat> we've done um, a few things. Yes, totally agree with the family communication starting to kind of ramp up during this time. We used to do family ed, I think monthly for the most case, depending on what the topic was. Mm-hmm. Now we have it every week. Every Tuesday evening is targeted to primary families. Every Wednesday evening is targeted to elementary families. Um, we do, goodness, I don't know that I could count, but like newsletters from, biweekly newsletters from the guides, um, and from the admin team, probably a couple a week at the very least. 
we have continued along some of the same paths that we were in live. And for instance, our ABAR training is still going strong and we have families doing that mm-hmm. virtually um, to be able to continue that work. But then even thinking into our what our reopening plan looks like um, and if we were open wouldn't have to shut down, we have a committee working on that and we've invited families to be part of that as well. So recognizing the voices of all of the parts of the community and trying to bring them in as much as possible. And our guides also have open office hours as well. That's great. You two are working so hard. It's astonishing how much thought goes into having a very intentional learning community during a world pandemic. And just huge shout out to both of you for moving the Montessori work forward in spite of adapting to your various conditions. DC, where all schools are virtual, and North Carolina, where there's a mixture happening, um, that you are innovating, adapting, adjusting, but keeping your community cohered. I just really appreciate your time and talking to the rest of the community about your, your plans and how they panned out and questions for each other. Thank you for being here today. Sure, thank you for having Thanks, us. Thanks, Elizabeth. Our show is a project of Public Montessori in Action, elevating voices in the community to forward the mission. Our host is Elizabeth Slade. Our producer is Isaac Price Slade. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing and sharing it with others. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts.